Well, holiday times uh, remind me of times of watching movies. I don't know if you did that in, in school holidays. You kind of got uh, a chance to watch some movies. We always used to do that, and our kids look forward to doing that. Now, one of the things I hate about movie trailers is that when you watch a movie trailer and it's all the highlights of the movie, and then you watch the movie and it's a complete letdown. Have you ever had that experience? You kind of, you're like, oh, this, this movie looks fantastic, and you finally get to rent it on DVD or watch it or go to the movies, and you're sitting there and you're like, all the good bits I saw in three minutes, what did I waste my life coming to the movie for? <laughs> I hate that about movie, movie trailers. And my hunch is that many of us think that way about Christianity. We kind of see what the Bible says. We hear about events that seem amazing. Uh, Just before this passage, 5,000 people being fed with like uh, a small amount of food, amazing miracles. And then we kind of look at the Christian life, either our life or or the lives of those who are claiming to be Christian, if we're here checking out Christianity, and we go, you know, is this one of those trailers where the, the preview is better than the movie? where the claims of the Bible don't really come through. Does the Bible overpromise and Christianity underdeliver? You might be here checking out Jesus for the first time this week, or you may have been um, enjoying the Christian life for many, many years. But the question I think this passage helps us to focus on is, is it worth it? Is the Christian life worth it, or does the trailer outwow the reality? What I want to put to you this morning is that seeing Jesus for who he really is, what what, um, Luke is about to show us, is like waking up from a dream, a drowsy dream. And it's experiencing life as it really is, the sight, the sound, the taste, the smell. You know when you've had a dream and you're like, was that real? And you kind of pinch yourself and it kind of felt real. But when you wake up, you're like, no, no, this, this is reality. Hopefully we'll see this morning what Jesus is showing us about reality. Have a look with me from Luke chapter 9, verse 1. And we see maybe some of the promises of Christianity. Uh, Summoning the twelve, Jesus gave them power and authority over all the demons. Power to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus takes the twelve who've been following him and gives them authority to do what he had been doing just earlier. Authority over sickness, authority over evil to cast them out. As a side note, last week I said a throwaway line that was wrong. I think I said uh, God created evil. He didn't create evil. Uh, He's in control of it. Uh, Evil is rebellion against God. I mean, he he created all things, and those things have now rebelled, some of them, like us. So side note, want to make sure I'm honest. Sometimes I make mistakes. So there you go. But here, the question is, should these promises that Jesus gives to the disciples be applied to to us. I mean, he says, hey, go out and do this stuff, and and they do. Is that what the Christian life is promising? That we'll be able to heal the sick, that if you have sickness, sickness will just go, or, or that evil will just be expelled wherever we go. Is that what Christianity is saying will happen? Or is it abundant satisfaction? That's sometimes what I hear people saying, you come to Jesus, life will be so much better. Um, And you kind of get a hint of abundant satisfaction in the next bit. Uh, Look at uh, verses 12 to 16, if you've got your Bibles open. Uh, We see there Jesus feeding 5,000. 5,000 men, uh, Luke records. So probably, you know, around 10,000 people at least. Lots and lots of people with such a small amount of food. His ability to satisfy is phenomenal. His ability to um, supply people's needs and to supply in abundance is amazing. Is that what we should expect? Is that what the Bible's claiming about Christianity and the Christian life? 
I think many of us can hear these stories and come and, and we kind of have this view of Jesus where we, we come to him asking, what can I get from you? What will you give me for my, for my, my effort, my time? Um, how can you top me up? How can you improve my, my quality of life? And I think they're fine questions to ask. But we just don't find them the questions that Jesus wants us to ask of him. He comes and redefines reality and says, no, 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 you haven't quite yet got it. And his followers, they're kind of in the same boat at this point. Uh, They get some aspects of him. They get, they've seen these miraculous signs. They've actually done them themselves. They've seen the dead raised. They've seen sickness driven out. They've seen evil fleeing. They've, They've seen him do it. They've done it. They've experienced his power through them firsthand. Right? They're amazed at Jesus. They get who he is, and rightly so. And some of their view of him is right. Let's look at the next bit and kind of see what, what they claim about Jesus. Verse 18 of, of chapter 9. While Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, one of the ancient prophets has come back. You, he asked them. He's getting at their identity. He's getting at, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered rightly, God's Messiah, the promised king, God's chosen one, the anointed one that God would send to fulfill his promises. So they've got this view of Jesus that seems partially right. And maybe, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've come along and you, you go, yeah, I think Jesus is God's son. I think he's come and he's done these great things. Uh, maybe you've always called yourself a Christian. You've grown up in a, in a family that would say, yes, we're Christian. Uh, you believe Jesus was a miracle worker, like most of the ancient testimonies about him say he was. Uh, you believe he's God's son. You believe he was the promised king. But your kind of expectation of what he's come to do is to top up life, to fill in the low points, to be the value add to life to the full to kind of win the battles for you. And I think that's the expectation the disciples had. When Jesus a little later says that he's he's going to die, Peter's like, no, no, you can't do that. That can't happen, not with you. One of Satan's greatest victories, I think, (laughs) is to give us what we want and let us think that that's God's blessing on our life. And so we're happy and God's showing us this reality, but it's, it's just really filling up the bumps of life when there's something much more profound on offer that Jesus is about to show these disciples. He's about to wake them up. Literally, they'll be asleep in a moment. He's about to show them that their current view of life and of satisfaction and of glory and of what is to come is really a pathetic trailer compared to the reality of what he's going to do and of who he is. Coming to Jesus to top up our lives not only sells him short, but sells us short from the reality of who he is and what he's done and what he's offering. We see that in the next section. It's called the transfiguration. And we heard in the kids talk why, but let's let's have a look at it. Verse 28. About eight days after these words, Luke points out, there's a link. He took along Peter, John and James and went up the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. 
His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. Can you imagine that? Being there and seeing Jesus change, like that's, that's out of this world. There's something very different about this man. And then Moses and Elijah, two guys who've been gone for, for so, so long. What we've got here is kind of it's a little bit complex, but it's, it's the trailer within the trailer. It's kind of like the movie Inception, if you've seen it, a dream within a dream. If you haven't seen it, I just spoiled some of it for you. But anyway, um, it's like the trailer within the trailer. As we're looking at the Bible and what the Bible promises, we're seeing here another glimpse, another window into the reality of who Jesus is and the reality of the future of the Christian. And if you can see what's happening right now, if you can understand what's actually going on, I think it will change your life. It will give you confidence. It will help you to see that without seeing Jesus this way, we've been living in an oppressive dream in fairyland, thinking that, well, things are very different than they are. Let's have a look at what's happening. Firstly, that they're on a mountain with Jesus. Now, Whenever people are on a mountain throughout Scripture, something's kind of going on. You think through mountaintop experiences. Often you think right back to Exodus. And when God spoke to, to, to Moses and gave the Ten Commandments, was on a mountain. They're on this mountain. And then something happens to Jesus. His face begins to shine, bright light radiating from him. Put yourself in Peter, James, and John's shoes. Who is this guy? <laughs> like, what is going on? This is like some scene from a movie that's a bit kind of crazy. Well, what is happening before my eyes? And then to add to it, Moses is there and Elijah. Like, there's, there's only one moment in history where these three men have been together ever. And it's a bit of a shame that, that Peter, James and John were originally asleep. Imagine sleeping in for that week with Jesus, right? That's why it's important to wake up and come to church because you can miss key moments. <laughs> key moments of God's word molding and shaping us. So it's important to keep opening God's word and not be asleep. We still want to sleep, of course, at night, but you know what I'm saying. So Moses, he was the one that God chose to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt, if you think back. Uh, do you remember the Red Sea crossing through, coming out of Egypt into the promised land, fulfilling the promises that God had given to Abraham? Moses is the one God spoke to. He's like the key leader of Israel on Mount Sinai. He's the one who recorded God's law in Exodus 19, the Ten Commandments and following. He's the one who you start to see God's promises to Abraham really fulfilled in. Remember those promises in, in uh, Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 about God's people, that he would bless these people, that he would bring them to a new land and he would bless all nations through them and make um, Abraham's name great. They're the promises that control the rest of the Bible. And Moses is the one who kind of wrote that law that is referred to so much, the, the, the reality of what God has done. Then Elijah, Elijah's there. Who's Elijah? He was like the great prophet. So you've got the great, um, the, the great one who brought the law and the great one then who, who was the, the great prophet. Uh, remember, he was the one that um, God would speak through to remind people, to remind Israel to come back to God, to stop worshipping idols. 
to worship the true and living God. Literally, Elijah's name. Do you know what it means in the Hebrew? It means God is Yahweh. When we get to the question of the identity of Jesus, we have on this mountaintop experience where often God had spoken before, the one who summarizes the whole law and then the key prophet, whose name means God is Yahweh. Who is this man? What were these three talking about? Like, wouldn't you have loved to have heard? What's going on there? What are they saying? Well, actually, it's recorded for us. Luke records probably what Peter has heard. Um, you know, what do we think they'd be talking about? How many days the world was created in? Well, the particular nuances of baptism, kind of, you know, what happened here? No, let's listen. Verse 31. They appeared in glory and were speaking of Jesus' death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Of all the things to be talking about throughout all of Israel's history and everything that had gone before, these two greats are speaking about what was about to happen in Jesus. They were doing now what they'd always been doing in their earthly ministry, testifying to the Messiah, pointing forward to God's great plan of salvation that was promised to Abraham and now being finalized in Jesus. There's something here that we actually miss in the translation as it came across from the Greek. Don't often talk about the Greek. Uh, But here, when it says speaking of his death, um, it means that, that they were speaking of his death, but the words literally are speaking of his exodus. The Greek words literally exodus, his departure. Um, why is that? Why has Luke chosen that word? And you're like, Moses, exodus. There's some link happening here. What's, what's going on? And then suddenly a cloud envelopes them all. This booming voice comes, verse 35. This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. This is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. If the question is on the identity of Jesus, we're in a cloud on a mountaintop with Moses, uh, the head of the law, with Elijah, the, the kind of key prophet, all together, all of God's history is coming together and we hear God speak, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. It's why it's important to know our Bibles, to keep reading our Bibles and our, and our Old Testament. Because what's going on here is actually astonishing. What's, what's, what's this cloud doing? It's just a foggy day in Auckland, you know? There's plenty of cloud up on Mount Eden sometimes. Is that what was going on? Well, in the Old Testament, in the exodus from Egypt, when, when Israel, um, well, God's people kind of exited, departed, went across the Red Sea, God says that my royal presence will be with you and guide you. Do you remember how he did that? His presence was with them in a cloud. He led Israel and protected Israel in a cloud. By day, in the sunlight, it was a cloud that sheltered them. And by night, it looked like a pillar of fire. This cloud held off the entire army of Pharaoh. When the cloud descended on Mount Sinai, when the Ten Commandments were coming, it was the presence and the glory of God. The mountains shook Israel trembled. Anything that touched the mountain died instantly. God was there. On that day in Exodus, the voice came out of a cloud and nobody could listen to it. It was the voice of God. They're like, no, Moses, you go. You go talk to him and tell us what he said. This is too much. Well, on this day, on this mountain, with Jesus, James, 
Peter and John. There was no mist or fog or low-lying cloud cover. The presence of God was there, the Father. The glory of God and he speaks and his words are, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The audience was small. Jesus already knew it. Moses and Elijah knew what was going on, but there were three disciples who needed to hear this word. He is my son. Here is a glimpse of who he is, my chosen one, my Messiah. Listen to him. Then the cloud disappears. Moses is gone. Elijah disappeared. And all that's left is Jesus. Do you see the symbolism? It's all about Jesus. God is saying to them, my son is my glory. He says, do you remember the, the, the tabernacle, the tent, when, when I built that, that place that I would dwell in the midst of the people in the book of Exodus? Do you remember that the glory of God came down as a cloud into the Holy of Holies in the center of that, of that tent? The priests, um, they couldn't stand to minister. Nobody could get near to where God was in that center place. It was, was like a furnace. But that cloud, God says, was just an old and primitive and imperfect representation of my absolute glory. You want to see my glory? Who's remaining? Jesus. He is the perfect way to see my glory. He's the perfect way to see who I am. Everything you've ever seen before, whether it was earthquake, wind, fire, cloud, all of these things have, have shown me to you. But now... Let me show you the complete and perfect picture of my glory. Jesus is the glory of God. Life, creation, the whole of Israel's history, it's all been about him. The disciples, they're getting this for the first time. It's getting through through Peter's thick head. All of it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. All of the law, all of the prophets point to him. All that is left is not not Moses, not Elijah, but Jesus. Now, as a side note, I think there's a really helpful principle here to work out how we understand God's word correctly. Moses and Elijah and all they were saying and doing throughout all of Scripture were taking us down one road, showing us one thing, pointing us toward Jesus the fulfillment of everything that, that had been promised by God through them. Here, this, this, this kind of one moment on, on this mountain with Peter, James and John, God the Father turns up and he makes this claim. This is my son. Moses and Elijah disappear. Moses and Elijah move off stage. For one very simple reason. Jesus is the final revelation of God. You want to know what God thinks? You want to know what God's plans and purposes are and where they find their fulfillment? It's in Jesus. The writer of Hebrews gets it and kind of explains it to us at the start of Hebrews. Have a look. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God's appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and so became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Once God has come in person, you don't need another prophet. You don't need another revelation, another understanding of what God has to say to us. You don't need Muhammad to come and explain more of God's truth to us like the Muslims do 700 years later and say, God has now spoken through another prophet. No, if, if Jesus is God's son, then he has spoken finally in him. We don't need Joseph Smith to clarify the revelation of God like the Mormons believe. If he's God, we don't need another because God has come. So if you're reading some part of the Bible and you're kind of, as you're trying to understand some part of the Old Testament and it doesn't lead to Jesus, but leads to something else, then you've got the wrong path. Moses, Elijah are always pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, not every single aspect of it is going to go straight to Jesus. Don't kind of look for Jesus under every rock. But if that's the, not the general direction you're going to see him as the fulfillment, then we've, we've not understood Scripture. He is the focus and the center of all Scripture. So the question we need to ask ourselves as we read our Bibles, as we read it through our Old Testament, as we're doing our quiet times each week and thinking through um, what God's saying to us in the Old Testament is, have this question there. What's Jesus got to do with this? We won't always know the answer to the question, but it's always the right question. Always the right question to ask. That's why as a church, we're all about Jesus. About who he is, what he's done, and what that means for us. Well, as Jesus shows the glory of God to us through these people and to these disciples, he shows us that his glory looks very different from what you might first imagine. Luke's deliberately pointing us back to the Exodus. What happened at the Exodus? Well, Moses led God's people out of the promised land after smearing the blood of a lamb across the doorframe so that the angel of death, when he passed across, wouldn't kill those who took God at his word and who trusted in him. Through the blood of the lamb, of these lambs, Israel was saved and became a nation. But that was actually a foretaste. He was actually pointing forward to this one, Jesus. What were they talking about? His departure, his exodus, his death at the cross. that was about to happen in Jerusalem. This moment, Jesus' death in our place was what all of human history had been about up until this point and is what all of human history from that point on is about. The identity of Jesus and his death in your place and his resurrection. That's where the glory of God would be shown. It's not as someone who's come to make my life a little bit better, to top up the down moments of my life, to kind of just make it a little bit happier and take my generally good, good stuff and make them a bit better. He came to die in your place and in mine because we need forgiveness for turning our backs on God. We deserve death, but Jesus has come for you to die in your place, not as a top up, but as a complete replacement, a a complete reboot, a complete new start. But it doesn't stop there. The picture of Jesus' face being transformed and gleaming white gives us a hint of what is to come. 
This is the trailer that points forward to what's to come. That While now it seems like, oh, where is Jesus? You get a hint, a picture right here of what it will be like when he comes back. And I love this. John would later write in more detail as God gave it to him in Revelation 19. He wrote these words. Then I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He wore a robe stained with blood and his name was the Word of God. And he had a name written on his robe and on his thigh, tattooed, you can imagine, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's who Jesus is. This one who commands angels and they listen and they follow, who is the creator and sustainer of all things and will endure forever. That's who they are faced with. That is the future for those who trust in this Jesus. Jesus is showing these disciples a whole new picture of who he is. What picture of Jesus do you carry around? Is it the kind of baby Jesus in a manger, gentle, mild, meek and mild? Or is it maybe a, a wise teacher? He has good morals, good things to think that I want to follow him in, in life. Is it a dead leader? Luke is showing us what Peter, James and John got clearly that day, or at least a little later as it all came together. Jesus is the one who will come back riding on a stallion after paying the price for our rebellion against God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, tattooed very clearly on his thigh. So many of us want to be inspired by Jesus. We want Christianity, we think Christianity is about seeing who he is and being inspired by him. But Jesus hasn't come to inspire us. His his robe was dipped in blood. He's came to, to die in our place. We must recognize Jesus' death isn't just an inspiring act. Isn't that nice that he'd do that for us? It was your death and mine. He did it in your place. The future, eternity, forever is dependent on whether or not he died for you and me. That death was your death so that we might be saved from slavery, saved from slavery to ourselves, from slavery to death. The disciples at this point, they wake up from their slumber and they see Jesus for who he really is. And the question is, have you seen this Jesus? Have you seen what he has done for you? We need to stop being inspired by Jesus. He hasn't come to inspire us, but to show us the full glory of God dying in our place as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, risen again, who will come back. Next week, we're going to look at uh, 2 Peter 3, about Peter's certainty of the return of Jesus and looking forward to that day and how great it will be. But here is the foretaste, the trailer, the glimmer that changes the way we live. At that moment, they saw for just a minute what those who trust in Jesus will experience for eternity. We need to remember that. These disciples would need to remember that. 
as they see him in not long being crucified and on a cross to remember the glimmer of who he is as we live our Christian lives and it seems normal kind of routine the run of the mill stuff and you think oh is this what it's cut out to be we must remember the reality that this trailer has showed us that is our future king of kings lord of lords has died in your place and keep trusting him so how do we respond to this mountaintop moment well peter he he's just got no idea He's kind of like, well, I, don't, I don't know what's happening. He's like, it's good to be here. You're like, yeah, I don't know. If you met the queen, what do you say to the queen? It's good to be here. She's like, yes, yes. Um, he's, like, he's like, well, let, let me build you three tents. Let, let, let's, let's, kind of, let's kind of put tents up. And I love that the Bible records Peter's stupidity. Like, I love it. It reminds me that I can be a Christian and, and I don't have to get it all, always right. I love the, like, it's not photoshopped. The Bible doesn't go, okay, we'll fix Peter up and make him look a little bit better. Let's kind of make him look a bit nicer. And, you know, he, he always had it right. No, no, he's, he's got it wrong. He doesn't, he doesn't get it entirely. He, the Bible records Peter warts and all. If, if someone said something wrong, it's wrong. If they sin, they sin. I've been reading through um, 2 Samuel and get up to the point of David, God's promised king, the one whom God chose, is about to commit an awful, awful sin that he would commit adultery with a woman who isn't his wife. He would then have the husband of that woman murdered and then try and lie about it. This is God's leader. This is the king after God's own heart. No, the Bible doesn't Photoshop. It shows you the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. And it shows you the reality of us as humans. But here, Peter still has the wrong view of Jesus. He wants to hold on to the experience. Stay. Let's, we've got Moses. We've got Elijah. We've got... Jesus here, let's kind of, let's, let's, let's build them tents and we'll just hang out on top of the mountain. Like, that'd be great. Just the, just the four of us or the five, six of us, right? It'd be awesome. And he kind of wants to hold on to it. But then it's almost as if God responds to what Peter says. As soon as those words come out of Peter's mouth, why don't we build you tents? Let's stay. Let, let's hang amongst you. The cloud descends at that very moment as if to shut Peter's mouth up. Sure. <laughs> And then what does, the, what does he say? This is my son. It's about him. Uh, the one I, who, I'm, who I have chosen. What did you just say, Peter? You just said he was the Messiah. My chosen one. This is my son. He's the chosen one. What did Peter do? No, no, you don't die. <laughs> what does God say? Listen to him. Look at verse 22, just before, and hear what Jesus had said, what Peter was reacting against. The Son of Man must suffer many things, must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. He said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What's what's this in response to, remember? It's in response to Peter saying, You're the Messiah. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What, what is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. <laughs> Didn't God answer that little recorrection so quickly for these three men? 
Peter, listen to him. Rowan, listen to Jesus. Stop thinking that you know better than him. Stop thinking that you've got a, a particular view or a particular way that you think, oh, he means this here, but doesn't mean that there. When he says this, it doesn't actually mean you've got to stay married to that person for life or that, that um, it's meant to be a male and a female in a lifelong relationship in marriage or that I am the only way to God. Surely there can be other ways. Shut up, Rowan. Listen to him. He is my chosen one. He is the one who will come back with King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed on his thigh. What does listening to him look like? It's the essence of the Christian life. It's the glimpse of the future, given this picture of Jesus' identity. Deny yourself. Stop living for you. You are not the king, Rowan. (laughs) Take up your cross and follow him. He's taking up a cross. It's a pictorial image of a criminal who's been sentenced to, to dying on a cross. And what they would do, they would give the criminal the actual cross. And bearing the cross, would be, you'd have to walk to the point where the cross would be put up and you would die. It was a public and ultimate display of that person's submission to the state. Submission to the point of death. You've rebelled against the, the state. The state says you shall die. The symbol of submission to that state is carrying the cross. I'm going to my death. I'm going to die and I'm going to submit to the authorities that are in place. Cross-bearing means that our independent lives are at their end. We need to submit to another authority. That authority is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's the one you've seen a glimpse of this morning. To follow Jesus means we'll need to be willing to enter into the suffering and rejection that comes from placing him as the ultimate authority. Jesus isn't promising a life that's all beer and Skittles, a life that's just so nice and it'll fill up all my, 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 my needs. He's offering you to die to yourself and to put Jesus in his place as the ruler of our lives. That's the essence of discipleship. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Then I need to be your king over every area by every word. To be a Christian is to wake up from our sleep. It's to wake up from thinking that the world has really got us at the center and to hold on to this picture of the glory of God seen very, very clearly in Jesus. Have you seen he is the king? Have you given him your life to deny my independent self and saying, you're the king, you can rule better than I can. You've died in my place. Your robe is stained with blood that should have been mine. The question is, will you listen to him? How much will you listen to him? Will you listen single-mindedly, unequivocally, Will you hold on to this picture of Jesus when suffering comes and you're tempted to think, this isn't what I signed up for. No, actually it is. You signed up to trust the one who will come back and put all things right. Is is it trusting in him just when things are right and rosy? No, it's trusting them all the time that he is the ruler of your life. The picture Jesus shows these disciples on that day and us is the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. What more security could I ask for? What more hope than the promise of Jesus' death in my place? If you want that hope, if you want 
to live that life that lasts forever. If you want to wake up and Jesus says, listen to me. Why don't we pray that that's exactly what we would do. Father God, this morning we are so thankful that you have shown us this picture of your son. That we might see him for who he is. We ask that that picture would comfort us when we feel, I guess, like this isn't what we signed up for. It would remind us of the reality of Jesus' return and at the same time remind us of our need to bow at the knee and to put our life in your son's hands. Well, for those of us here today that are checking you out, we ask that you would show yourself to them, that we might see you as you are and trust you as our king. And Lord, we are so thankful for the death of Jesus, for the exodus from slavery and sin he has provided for us in our place, that we might know you. We pray we would trust you, listening to his word all the days of our life. Amen.